Good morning. This morning's Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians. It's chapter 4, verse 13 to chapter 5, verse 11. It's on page 1188 of our Bibles. It's page 1188, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 413 to 511. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Excuse me. Uh, Good morning. How are you going? Good. Great. Me too. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we ask that as we um, meditate on your word right now, that you would give us understanding and joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, at the beginning of this year, my connect group um, multiplied, split in two, and um, they've been meeting separately all year and growing individually, and it's been great. Um, but a tradition for this young adults community group, uh, this connect group, is to get together at Fred and Jill's house for a Christmas dinner. And I am not one to do away with tradition, um, especially traditions like that. And so we came together on Wednesday night for this lovely uh, Christmas dinner, this little reunion, if you will. 
and it was just a lovely time. And during this feast, um, you know, as the minister, I have to say a few words, and I decided uh, to ask two questions uh, to our group. The first question I asked the group was, what's your favourite thing about Christmas? What's your favourite thing about Christmas? And I gave them 90 seconds to chat with one another about it. And um, without hesitation, the person sitting next to me said, time with family. And I looked to him and I said, I imagine 90% of people are going to say something like that. And knowing young adults, they didn't. Some people said food and fun and, you know, other things. But we all know everybody was thinking time with family is their favourite thing at Christmas. Uh, Then I said, all right, I've got a second question for you. The second question, um, it might sound a little bit crazy. You might have no idea what I'm talking about. But just come with me. It might seem really abstract at this time of year. Um, The second question is, I want you to share with your partner your gut reaction or your initial feelings about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, And there was a bit of laughter, a bit of uncertainty, and people got on, had had a chat. Without hesitation, again, the person sitting next to me said, trepidation. And I said, I guarantee 90% of the people in the room are thinking the same thing. I did, the, I did this little questionnaire as a little theory to test whether what I think about the second coming of Jesus Christ is what most people think and feel about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it turns out my feelings are similar to most people's feelings, um, that especially contrasted to Christmas, the joy of like being around family and friends, when you shift gear and think about the second coming of Christ, it's like, you know, you get a bit hot under the collar. Trepidation. And I, I said to the group, I said, I'm about to read a passage from the Bible that brings these two things together. That brings our desires and our love and our hope for Christmas together with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I read to them, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 5, 11. That's what we just read. And, and it might seem like a strange passage to reflect on at Christmas. Um, but church, you need to know for thousands of years, uh, the church has always remembered at Christmas not just the first coming, but the second coming. Uh, we don't just remember the second coming, but we anticipate the first... We don't just remember the first coming, but we anticipate the second coming. Um, And Christmas reminds us that the most important hope in the New Testament is not just that Jesus came, but that Jesus will come again. And so at Christmas, the most important hope for us is that Christ has come and Christ will come again. And I think what needs to be corrected in our view from the Bible is our view of the second coming. Because most of us, like my friend sitting next to me and me and myself, we would say, when I think about the second coming, when I I think about it, the word trepidation comes to mind. I feel a little bit uneasy. It's not how I think about Christmas. They're quite different. And so I, I said to the group, I said, what 1 Thessalonians has to say about the second coming of Jesus is that it's the ultimate family reunion. The second coming of Jesus is the ultimate family reunion. And I said, if you want a picture of the second coming, I said to them, look around you. I said, 
this here, this wonderful Christmas dinner, this feast where we, brothers and sisters in Christ, are together, this is a picture the Bible gives us of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I want to explore the second coming of Jesus with you today. I want to look at this passage because I think the second coming is good news. I think the answer should be something like the first answer to my question. What do you, what do you hope most? What do you love most about Christmas? I love time with family. That should be our answer. I believe Christmas is about the second coming. I believe the second coming should be our greatest hope as Christians. And I believe the second coming is good news for us. So I want to look at it today. And I want to do that by looking at three things. So I want to talk about what it is. Then I want to reflect on why it's good news and what we're going to do with that news today. Um, so what it is and why it's good news and what we're going to do about it today. So firstly, what is it? What is the second coming of Jesus? If you're anything like me um, or how I grew up thinking about it, um, I grew up and the second coming of Jesus Christ scared the living daylights out of me. Yeah, I got a few amens there. I heard that from the back. Scared the living daylights out of me. Um, and Graham reminded me of a song that used to be played on the tape player at home by a gentleman called Larry Norman. Um, a hippie, 1969, writes this song about the second coming. It's called, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. You remember it? No, okay. I'll sing a little bit in a moment. One of the verses says, A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. No. <laughs> There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Uh, well, my, my picture of the second coming was a little bit like that. There was a little bit of that in there. There was certainly some some fear and trepidation about that, but my picture was more of a zombie apocalypse. It was, you know, gravestones open, which I think probably happened, that's okay, but the world was full of doom and gloom and darkness, there was fire and destruction, and um, the emotions that came with that, a fear and dread and trepidation. Um, that, was, that was my experience. You might be somewhere else on the scale, you might just be like, this guy is crazy, Matt is out of his mind. The second coming is clearly a metaphor or a myth or something like that. And we don't need to think about it. Um, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle and you think the second coming, Jesus is important to me. He has died for my sin. Uh, but the second coming doesn't really matter. You know, maybe it's irrelevant to my faith. In fact, I imagine... Most of us, when uh, we're talking to our friends about Christian things, uh, would talk about freedom from guilt. Yeah? Most of us would talk about freedom of guilt. Most of us would talk about um, being forgiven of our sin and one day living with God forever. But most of us would tuck our heads back in our shells when it comes to the second coming. I'm not going to raise that with my friend. Maybe it's just me. Um, what I want to do is have, let's have a look at verses 16 and 17 together. Let me, let me just read it to you. 
verses 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself will come down, chapter 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, a quick glance at that passage puts this kind of image in my mind. Jesus, as a superhero, possibly wearing a cape, um, slowly descending through the sky uh, towards the earth, the sun just like behind his head, you know, giving him the silver lining. And there's these angels blowing foreboding trumpets. There's a lot of noise. And then every second or third person in the world gets suddenly an anti-gravity experience, gives Jesus a high five, and flies off into some world up above, some heaven up above. I think, like, I can understand if you read that kind of literally and quickly, that's what you might get from that. Um, I want to share with you what I think the author is getting at. The first thing to say, obviously, and one theologian puts it like this, he says, any Christian language about the future is a signpost pointing to a, into a mist. Now, that's not to say we can't say anything about the future, but it's to say we can't say everything or exactly uh, what will happen in the future. But it also says we can know something true and meaningful and important to know about the future. And that's, that's why Paul is sharing here about it. There's a few illustrations, that's what they are, a few illustrations in verses 16 and 17 that give us a good picture of what the second coming will be, a good signpost of what the second coming will be. The first is in verse 16, and it's, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. This is an Old Testament allusion to Moses coming down the mountain to visit the people after a long absence. Um, And trumpets in the Old Testament often speak of God's presence, God's arrival. And so the, the point here that Paul is making is that Jesus will come to us. He will come again to us here. Now that sounds really obvious, but remember the pictures that, I mean, you were laughing, I think the pictures that we have in our head is of us kind of being vacuumed up into heaven. The picture here is him coming to us after a period of absence. Um, I have a sister-in-law, her name's Jess, and she's only become a Christian in the last four or five years or so, and she's been reading her Bible, like, um, like in an amazing way, a way that's inspiring to me. I go down to Canberra for holidays, my Bible often finds its place on the bookshelf in Sydney, and she's there opening during the holidays, opening her Bible, reading early in the morning. And she turns to me one holiday recently and she says, Matt, why is there so much, um, in Christian circles, why is there so much talk about spending eternity in heaven when what I'm reading in the Bible is about heaven coming to earth, about Jesus returning to earth and us spending eternity with him in a new heavens and a new earth, here on earth? And I said, Amen, sister. You're reading the Bible with with new eyes. You didn't have Larry Norman in your ear Um, as a kid. It was good for a number of reasons. No. Amen, sister. 
He comes to us. That's the first picture that we get. The second picture is an image of clouds. Verse 17 says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught together with them in the clouds. Now, this is an image from the Old Testament book of Daniel, um, where God's people are not floating on clouds down to earth, but God's people are vindicated. And a special someone is taken on the clouds into God's presence. And as a result, all of God's people are vindicated. They're taken out of the suffering and the persecution that they're in, and they are saved. Um, I was kind of thinking about it this morning, and it's, you know, when at an award ceremony, like imagine an OAM award ceremony or something like that, and people are asked to come up onto a stage. And in that moment, as they come up and they're given their, the appreciation for what they've done, and it's as if all the challenges and hardship and the endurance they've gone through is, is worth it. And that's something like the picture here, that God's people are vindicated. And, and clouds, again in the Old Testament, are about God's presence. So this is about God vindicating His people. And then the third image, at the end of the sentence there, it says, they're taken on the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. This is the fun part. What is this about? To meet the Lord in the air. Uh, The words here for this kind of meeting uh, are used in Paul's time about a royal visit. It's when an emperor or a king comes from the capital and goes to a colony or a province, and he visits them, he meets them. And what happens when an emperor visited a colony is the citizens of that country and in that city would go out a fair distance to meet him and to accept him. This is what we all did when Harry and Meghan turned up to Australia, right? We all went to the airport. It would have been rude not to. Uh, I was watching from TV myself. Um, But the point is, is... They would go out to meet their king. And the point is not that they stay there outside the city, but that they come back and they escort their royal king, their royal visitor, into his domain. This is where he belongs. This is where he has rule over. And he puts things to right when he gets there. He makes everything right. He rescues them, he saves them, does whatever he needs to when he's there. And so in those three images um, from those verses, we have this idea that Jesus comes to us. We have this idea that he vindicates his people. He saves them. And we have this idea that Jesus turns up as a king to rule and to reign. He's this royal, he's he's lord of the earth right now, but one day he will manifest his lordship completely. And I love how Paul finishes verse 17. He emphasizes perhaps the most important bit. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And so we, those who love and know Jesus and put their trust in him, we the church will be with him forever. Those who have died in the Lord and those who are still living, there's one big family reunion with Jesus and with one another forever. Hopefully by now it sounds like good news 
to you. Hopefully it sounds, it's beginning to sound like good news. I just want to flesh a few things out. Um, I'll try and do this really quickly. But I want to flesh out a few reasons why the second coming of Jesus Christ is really good news. I've kind of explained what it is, but now I want to convince you that it's good news. I think it's, it's good news physically. It's good news relationally. And it's good news politically. Firstly, it's, it's good news physically, or it's good news for your experience right now. Uh, typically, there are two views when it comes to thinking about our experience in the world right now, our physical experience. The first is, everything physical is evil, and you need to escape it. It's holding you back from your full potential. On the other hand, there's a view that says, this world is all there is, so you've got to suck the marrow out of it. The second coming of Jesus, if I can put it like this, it sits somewhere in the middle and it says, the world is good, not evil, it is broken, but it's good. And one day Jesus will come to restore it. And so as Christians, as people who properly understand the second coming of Jesus, because he's a God who is coming here, I think we are not to reject the world nor to rely on the world for our contentment, but we're to receive this experience as a gift and to respect it as a gift. See, many people reject the physical and they say that, you know, one day this is all going to burn up, it's not going to matter, it's going to disappear. So how I live, what I do with my body, how I treat this world, doesn't matter. The second coming of Jesus suggests that God cares about something in this world. Um, this world is not a cheap IKEA product that seemingly spent billions of years to put together only to be thrown out on the curbside when the lemonade starts peeling off. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the people of Willoughby know what I'm talking about. I've seen the council cleanups. That's not our world. This world is the real piece of furniture. It's the real thing. And one day it's waiting for a, a renewal, a resurrection. Secondly, so we don't reject the world, nor do we rely on the world. You know, a bunch of my friends, I think if you're kind of 30 or younger, you still think if you can perfectly curate your life, you can have contentment right here and right now. If you can perfectly, you know, we try and curate our calendars, we try and get our bodies amazing, we try and eat the perfect eating thing, food, <laughs> we try and drink the perfect drink, we try and be with the right people at the right time in the right place so that we can find contentment here and now. But all too often we're disappointed, right? I'm, I'm going to let you down a little bit. You're going to be a little bit disappointed on Christmas Day. The lamb's going to be a little bit overcooked. The prawns won't, won't be as good as you remember them last year. That wine that's on the cupboard that you just, you know, it's been aging. Thank the Lord for it. Receive it as a gift, but don't rely on it for your satisfaction. I've just mentioned some little things, but that's true of the more important things in life as well. The second coming of Jesus says, this world's not all there is, and it's not all perfect right now, but God's going to do a fixer-upper. And so we receive it. Um, all right, secondly, it's good news relationally. It's good news physically. It's good news relationally. At the beginning, I asked the question, 
um, what do you most love about Christmas? And I'm sure most of us would have been thinking time with family. It's important to note that some people don't have family here and now. And, and that can be really hard. I spoke to a person this morning and said, all of my family and friends are dead. And so I won't spend Christmas with them. And the family that they usually spend Christmas in Sydney with are not going to be here. And, and so, you know, that tells me in that moment what we do love most is, is time with friends and family. Because what devastates us most, what's most heartbreaking, is not being with them. Uh, the loss of a loved one. The second coming is good news for relationships. Um, I often thought that the second coming didn't have much to do with relationships. You know, I've shared all the pictures that I had in my head at least. Um, and that for some reason we just had this disembodied experience where I didn't know anyone or remember one in, anyone in heaven and I just met some you know, vague people who live in heaven. But I think the second coming validates our experience of relationships today. It validates it and it says, yes, relationships are the most important thing. Have a look at verse 14. Paul writes, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. The context is, is that people in Thessalonica are grieving those they've lost. And Paul's saying, you, don't have, you can grieve. Grieve is perfectly appropriate emotion. But don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because you have hope. You will see your brothers and sisters in Christ again. You will spend time with them. You will know them. You will see them face to face. You will be with them forever. Just to pause for a moment, what does that mean for us today? One of the things I think it means for us today is if you understand that the person sitting next to you in the seat right now, you could touch them on the shoulder. You could do that if you wanted to. It's okay, it's friendly. They're an eternal creature. They live forever. If they love and trust in Jesus, they live forever, and you'll be with them forever. You'll know that person forever. So surely that will change how you treat them today. That changes our ethical behavior, doesn't it? Paul will say in chapter 5, and don't have too much time to deal with it today, but he, he will say, be self-controlled. That's what it means. Be self-controlled, and be self-controlled in your relationships. That's what the second coming means. Be careful with those around you as if they are people you will have with you forever because that is true. There's good news for our relationships. The second coming validates our relationships. Finally, it's good news politically. It's good news politically. Um, I was once asked to keep politics out of my sermons and I'm happy to keep my politics out of my sermons. But the second coming of Jesus Christ is political. It is political. It's very political. One thing, remember, what we learned about the second coming of Jesus Christ is that he's a, he's a royal visitor. He's our coming king who will come and rule in his domain. He's a king who will sit on a seat of authority. It should go without saying, of course, you know this better than I do, perhaps politics is so important. And um, no matter what your frustrations are, your issues with it, politics is so important, it plays 
a, a critical role in our society. Um, I don't know a lot about politics, but I do, I do know a few things from watching the news and reading the paper. Australian politics is currently the laughing stock of the world. I know that. I know that in my heart I feel for President Macron and the French people. And I also know that I have no idea what's going to happen with Theresa May and Brexit. There are three things I know about politics. What I know about politics is that we're in the 21st century and we haven't got it all figured out. We're doing better than other centuries for sure, but we haven't got it all figured out. And the best solutions that I hear, you know, from podcasts or different popular people is that something like the next generation, they'll sort out our politics. Or I hear that if we send an elite group of people to Mars and they can colonize Mars, we'll solve the world's problems, everything will be right. The truth is our only hope is in a perfect political leader, a perfect leader. And the Son of God is going to come and take his rightful place as king. He's, he's going to come into office. So the, the Christian story, the most important Christian hope that we have, the second coming of Christ, is good news. It's good news. I want to finish with one story. Um, there was one American in space at the time of September 11. He was astronaut Frank Culbertson Jr. and he was in the International Space Station at the time and hovering, you know, some three to four hundred kilometers above planet Earth, he could see the smoke pouring out of Manhattan. There's a, a picture. And he wrote a letter to NASA uh, during those events. And he said this. He said, it's difficult to describe how it feels to be the only American completely off the planet at such a time as this. The feeling that I should be there with all of you, dealing with this, helping in some way, is overwhelming. Now, in a very real sense, um, our God is with us by His Spirit, and He is at work in our world right now through us, through His people. But also in a very real way, one day Jesus will return and His rule will be made complete and there won't be a feeling of He should be here with all of us right now dealing with this helping in some way because like Paul puts it at the very beginning of that passage read out to us this morning, the Lord Himself will come. The Lord Himself will come and He will be with us. And we'll be with Him forever. I want to return to my question at the beginning, what's your initial gut reaction to the second coming? There is a sense that we need to be prepared, we need to be ready, we need to be alert. But Paul here wants to remind us that the return of Jesus Christ is a positive thing and that it should be our ultimate hope and it should be a reason to have a Merry Christmas. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that we're reminded this morning as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, you did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you that as we look forward to the second coming, you're not setting us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to remember that today. 
Help us to remember it this Christmas. And help, it, help us uh, allow it to shape who we are. Help us to be children of the light and not of the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.